0: Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for checking out this week's show. We got a lot going on this week. A lot of CEOs in the news. We're also going to dip into the full mailbag. And it's all brought to you by Brave, a next-generation free web browser that focuses on ensuring your privacy and security. Take back control of your online activity and switch browsers to Brave today at brave.com/fool. That's brave.com/fool. Thanks also to NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com. fool
1: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing Global headquarters. This is Motley Fool Money.
0: It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week: senior analyst Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always. Hey, hey How good you to be do. Here. We've got the latest earnings from Wall Street. We will dip into the Fool mailbag, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the ever-spinning, revolving door to the corner office. A week of CEO departures was highlighted by one of the biggest companies in the public markets. Alphabet co-founder Larry Page is stepping down as CEO and will be replaced by Sundar Pichai, who has been running the show at Alphabet's most important division. That's Google. Sergey Brin, Alphabet's other co-founder, is stepping down as president. Both Page and Brin are going to stay on the board. And Jason, Pichai is the right person for the job. This is as smooth a transition as you could want if you're a shareholder. I'm still surprised by how quiet all of this has been given the size of the company
1: um, yeah I mean I, I I think it's probably been quiet essentially because the bottom line is I think for alphabet shareholders this is a good move I mean this is good news uh, succession plans as we know are always a very big question mark particularly as, as a business gets closer and closer to its its leadership aging out uh, not they're not necessarily aging out in this case but I you know I think they they are off to do Bigger and better things, perhaps, with their lives uh, as opposed to just looking after the day to day at the company. So, I think we saw the market react positively to the news. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we now have more certainty in regard to Alphabet's future and leadership. Uh, Pachai, as you mentioned, is the right man for the job. And that's, let's face it, I mean, he's been with the company now for around five years. Shareholders have benefited greatly from his leadership. Shares have doubled over that course of time. Uh, he's growing revenue at an annualized rate of 20% over that time. I, there are all sorts of Opinions out there as to why the time is now that this is happening. Are there political motives? Uh, are Paige and Brin trying to avoid maybe being thrown into the spotlight with all of these anti-reg or all of these regulation uh, concerns? Uh, that I guess we could deliberate over the course of 2020. But for now, as a shareholder in Alphabet, I'm I'm okay with this news.
2: Yeah, Paige and Brin. Have done a lot for Alphabet in terms of like side projects, if you will, investments into new initiatives. And what's really interesting about Pachai is, you know, I think there's, and some people have speculated this, that he's going to focus more on the core businesses. I mean, we've said it on the show before that YouTube is probably one of those things that. You know, Alphabet has really not monetized to its full potential. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see more focus on its core search business, plus, hopefully, maybe some change regarding the way that YouTube or, yeah, YouTube is run within Alphabet.
3: Yeah, I think this is an acknowledgement that Google primarily is the business. It's a somewhat conservative take on the business, de emphasizing some of the, the potential home runs in favor of the incredible cash cow that Google is. So I've got an idea. How about we call the company Google?
0: <laughs> mm. Well, it really does seem like a move back towards that because of how important Google is to the business of Alphabet. You also, I mean, we're talking about Pichai. Ruth Porat, the CFO, is still there. The business is in very good hands. But Page and Brin were as big a champions of the other bets the business was making as anybody. And it wouldn't surprise me if, in 12 to 24 months, some of those other bets just got completely defunded.
1: Well, I think it's fair to say this is probably an implicit admission that the alphabet structure hasn't Hasn't taken off perhaps like they thought it would have. I mean, yes, this is this is a Google story. The name of the company, for all intents and purposes, really should still be just Google. Uh, but but with that said, I mean, th- this certainly is a company that's not thinking of the course of quarters. I mean, they're thinking of the course of decades, really, and you have to admire that, uh, given where uh, they stand today with Pachaya, with Porat. I mean, I really do feel good about uh, the leadership they have in place to keep this business going forward. And, and I mean, it's worth noting too, Page and Brin will still be a big part of this company. Uh, they're just not going doing it from the positions they held.
0: United Airlines also getting a new CEO. Oscar Munoz is stepping back, will remain as executive chairman. Scott Kirby taking the corner office at United. Run. you think this is a good move?
3: Yeah, kudos to Munoz uh, for having uh, a great, a, a great two, uh, tenure there. The stock really ha- up about 56% since he took the reins, which is significantly outperforming the New York Stock Exchange Airline Index. But a lot of the initiatives were actually led by Kirby. A lot of the aggressive growth strategy that has turned United around um, were led by Mr. Kirby. So, if you're a shareholder, I think you're pretty excited about this succession. It makes perfect sense to have him just elevated to the top.
2: Yeah, and it's not surprising at all. Muniz took Kirby on in the midst of United's transformation, when they were, you know, struggling both uh, losing ground to American Airlines, which Kirby came from, um, and also struggling with things like that horrible incident where they were dragging, you know, doctors off of planes. So the turnaround was much needed, but immediately the bar was low when when Kirby came on for United. Yeah,
3: but let's not forget. Three months after he took the reins, he had a heart attack, a heart transplant. And he went on to lead this company to a pretty nice turnaround. Now I think it continues under Kirby.
0: Anyone looking to be the CEO of Expedia can apply to Chairman Barry Diller. <laughs> uh, Mark Okersrum, the former CEO and Chief Financial Officer, Alan Pickerel, uh, resigned this week. And uh, Jason, uh, add them to the list of people who went up against Barry Diller and lost.
1: Yeah, you don't. Cross Barry Diller. He he knows people and stuff, and has a lot of resources, and has his has his hand in a lot of cookie jars. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see at least CEOs being uh, removed for underperformance, right? I mean, it's right. A there's bit no scandal here. <laughs>
0: there's 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 nothing untoward with an, another employee. This is just you're not getting
1: the job done, and you got to go. And that's fair. I mean, if you look at Expedia's financials, I mean, revenue growth has slowed. You have to wonder how how are they going to really. Continue to compete with Booking.com, which is obviously the the behemoth in the space. We we saw a lot of those same types of red flags market wise with with TripAdvisor's most recent announcement. And and you can't forget either the role that Google plays here in this space with their search engine. I mean, search really is just a an important part of everything that goes on in virtually everything that we do, and travel is no exception. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, whoever steps into that that leadership position with Expedia
3: definitely has a work cut out for them. Cautionary tale for United, because back in the day, the succession plan at Expedia looked Perfectly <laughs> in, in line when the, the other CEO went to run Uber, um, and not everything works out. So you can't rest on your laurels. You got to perform.
1: You know what I noticed is Chelsea Clinton is an independent director on Expedia's board, and given her age, still young, obviously very intelligent, you got to wonder if someone like that doesn't have professional aspirations at some point to become a CEO at, at some time or another. I just I noticed that, and just the, the the idea started kind of running around in my head.
0: Zoom Video is a growth company, and Zoom's third quarter report showed that growth is slowing. Shares of Zoom down 10% on Friday, Emily.
2: That's misleading. Growth (laughs) is slowing. Do you know how much their revenue growth was last quarter? A lot, eighty-five <laughs> percent growth is That's slowing. Yes, it slowed down from ninety-six percent last quarter and a hundred three percent the quarter before that. So yes, growth I didn't say, is, I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> I just
0: said it was slowing. Growth
2: is definitely slowing in the market. Man, they have hammered them for it. But look, they're they're still growing at eighty-five percent. That's top line growth, and they're a profitable company, which is really saying something given the market that we're in today. So. I think I understand the concern about slowing growth, but you also have to realize that no company is going to grow at triple digits forever. And we just need to make sure that valuations are in line with new expectations for growth. So that's what we're seeing happen today for Zoom, stocks down largely because it was trading at something like 38 times sales beforehand. So really clearly a very frothy valuation, but a strong business and a business that admittedly is slowing down a little bit, but it's still growing significantly. So Ultimately, it's just an issue of valuation, not really an issue in the business here.
3: I want it noted that you used the word valuation three times, <laughs> and I'm impressed. And that is what it's all about, because if they need to grow at 95% to support the stock price, and they're growing at 85% or less, the stock deserves to come down, and that'll happen every time.
0: You're so happy to have another so, value yeah. investor in the hey, room. Hey, hey, don't go that <laughs> far. Yeah, yeah, really. uh, real, real quick before we move off of Zoom, I mean, the stock is basically trading where it was when it IPO'd. In April of 2018, safe to assume the valuation is at least a little bit more reasonable now?
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit more reasonable right now. Um, I think the bigger concern is that people don't really know how big the market for Zoom could be. And so its ability to continue to grow significantly is largely going to be dependent upon their ability to penetrate a largely Unknown and untapped market, so you have a really hard time when you look to value Ron a company like Zoom.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I will say I was down at Wofford College a couple of weeks ago speaking, and it came to light that they're big fans of Zoom there as well, and it got me thinking that there is a tremendous opportunity in the education space, higher education all the way down. I think for for companies like Zoom, and it was nice to hear that they had such a positive positive review there.
0: Ulta Beauty put up mixed results in the third quarter, but someone must have liked what they saw, because (laughs) shares of Ulta Beauty were up 13% on Friday run.
3: Yeah, beat expectations after a really tough earnings report last quarter and the stock just got slammed. This time around, pretty good. Net sales up almost 8%, comp sales up 3%, driven by both transaction growth of 2% and almost a 1% growth in average ticket. So, nice to see both of those things growing. The company has really been capitalizing on this demand for celebrity-led beauty brands, whether it's folks like Kylie Jenner, Jennifer Lopez, Youtuber James Charles, who I've never heard of. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have. Um, but so so. The top line looks pretty good here. Gross margins widened. I like that as well. But operating expenses were up due to investments in growth initiatives, labor costs higher. We're seeing that across the board at lots of uh, retailers. So, as a result, net income was actually down slightly at 1%. Earnings per share faring a little better, up 3%, but that was solely because of share buybacks.
2: I'm not nearly as entrenched in the beauty space as a 25-year-old girl should be, but I do know enough to know that the beauty market, especially as it applies to makeup, is being so largely driven by Google's YouTube again. And it's actually, you, you mentioned a little bit the celebrity agreements they have there. Those are so vital. And it's honestly a little bit of a harder business for Alton now because there's so much direct to consumer availability for these celebrities to get their products out to their watchers, and that's driving a lot of purchases. So, it's taking away business from Ulta unless they have those partnerships in place, which hurts their margins. So, it's it's a hard business to make work, but I'm impressed that they're not slowing down faster.
0: It was four years ago this month that Constellation Brands finalized its deal to buy Ballast Point Brewing for $1 billion. Coming up, we'll check in to see how that acquisition has aged. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All right. Before we get back to the news, quick shout-out to Brave, a next-generation web browser pioneering a better internet with privacy by default. It begins with giving you back control over who has access to your online activity. Brave's browser protects your privacy by stopping creepy ads that follow you across the web. It performs up to eight times faster than other browsers, which is the kind of thing that only matters if you're a fan of speed and saving your battery life. And Brave is also free. It's easy to switch over to. You can import all your bookmarks with one click. And if you opt into Brave's privacy-respecting ads, you get rewarded with tokens. And you can use those to support your favorite content creators and access premium content. And that helps give publishers back their fair share of web revenue. I've used Brave before. It's great. Importing the bookmarks with one click, that's, that's worth it for someone like me, absolutely. Take back control of your online activity. Switch browsers to Brave today at brave.com slash fool. That's brave.com slash fool to switch your browser to Brave. Yesterday was about big tech. Today is about us. All right, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Shares of DocuSign hitting a new high on Friday. After strong third quarter results, revenue came in higher than expected for the electronic signature company. Jason, if you like traditional profits, DocuSign probably is
1: not for you yet, but... (laughs) DocuSign's getting it done. Listen, as a shareholder in DocuSign, I'm feeling pretty good about it today. Listen, um, when I think of management teams that are ex- executing beyond their aspirations, DocuSign really is one that comes to mind. Uh, there was a blip in the middle of the year, if you recall, where the stock got hit on billings concerns, but that really actually was a great example of a knee jerk reaction that provided investors an opportunity. Because um, if you remember, shares, shares dropped all the way down, I think $48 and change uh, in, in that time. But really, like you said, I mean, the, the business is accelerating, uh, revenue growth is Impressive. They hit the upper end of the target for billings this quarter with growth of 36%. percent they raised guidance for billings and revenue for the full year. Um, I think you want to look at a business like this and figure out what they're doing to leverage their core competency. And with DocuSign, that's e-signature, right? And so they've they've done a very good job in taking that that. Core competency in e-signature and building out this thing called the Agreement Cloud, which is a suite of more than a, do- a dozen offerings and hundreds of integrations that that help companies, enterprises, individuals manage the life of their contracts. And contracts, as we know, are just a big part of business. Uh, big opportunity to play in the mortgage sandbox as well. So they're they're getting uh, into the housing business. In, in-, in and mortgage you know, sandbox <laughs> sounds like no fun. <laughs> it's, it's not the sexiest business in the world, but there's a ton of money flowing through it, and it's nice to see Doc. Sign, uh, trying, trying to get their their share there as well. So I, I think all things considered, uh, strong quarter. Like you said, not traditionally, was that you said, profitable? Not traditional. Yes, we're living in a non-gap world now <laughs> anyway, Chris. So You just got to go ahead and embrace it.
2: It's so easy to point at DocuSign and say that it's a business that's going to lose out to something like Adobe. Adobe obviously acquired, I believe it was HelloSign, and now they turn it into Adobe Sign. And it's kind of the Slack versus Microsoft Teams argument, where if a company's already using Adobe, then why would they you know, go out of their way, pay extra, pay the premium that exists for DocuSign when they have something already accessible. And I think it goes, like Jason mentioned, to two testaments. A testament of the really strong underlying product. They're a solely focused business on e-signatures. That means they can make that experience as great as possible. But expanding it to the entire contract lifecycle management you know, business, and they see that as their biggest opportunity moving forward. There's definitely value in addition to being the the verbiage of e-signatures, right? DocuSign it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, customer growth is still there. Total uh, total customers up 24% now to 562,000, and even more importantly, enterprise and commercial customers grew 30% to 69,000. So something they're doing is working.
0: Third quarter same store sales for discount retailer Five Below came in a little higher than Wall Street was expecting. Ron. Are they raising prices at five below? The name of the business is five below, and I'm seeing all these stories that they're starting to raise prices.
3: A <laughs> Little bit. Introduce their 10 below gift shop uh, section, highlighting on more expensive toys and games. We can make fun of that all day. We'll see we'll see oh, how we we'll see how that goes. This is a little bit like Ulta, where if you focus on the top line, things look pretty good. Net sales up 21%, comp sales up 2.9%. But when you start to look at the cost structure a little bit, it gets a little bit more of a mixed bag. Operating income was actually down as a result of tariff and some other merchandise costs, earnings actually down 24%. Um, So, the company continues to grow, continues to open um, a significant number of stores, 61 new stores recently, almost 900 now in total. Uh, They did manage, interestingly, to raise the low end of their full-year guidance, despite the fact that it was a relatively weak uh, report um, on the bottom line. But even so, Forty times for a business that is having a little bit of struggles right here, especially on the cost side, I'd be careful.
0: How big a footprint are they looking to get? I mean, 900 locations, we see a lot of headlines about uh, bricks and mortar stores closing. Put them, along with Planet Fitness, uh, on the list of businesses that are expanding their footprint.
3: Significantly more expansion um, to, to lots more areas of the country. They feel that there's plenty of room to grow.
0: In December 2015, Constellation Brands made headlines when it shelled out $1 billion for Ballast Point Brewing, a craft beer company based in San Diego. This week, Constellation Brands sold Ballast Point to Kings and Convicts, a tiny brewery in Chicago. And Emily, the reports from the beer industry trade media indicate that Kings and Convicts paid somewhere in the neighborhood of $75 million to get this. What is going on at Constellation Brands?
2: It's a great question. And those same reports say that they actually weren't shopping around Ballast Point either, which means that at some point, likely, kings and convicts just approached them and said, hey, I'll give you $80 million for this. <laughs> and then Constellation Brands took it. Yeah, They were like, yeah, that's a good deal. Uh, something they paid just three or four years prior $1 billion for. Uh, it's clearly a bad acquisition on their part. They said it was just an issue of how they saw the beer industry developing and just simply not in the direction of ballast points. But it doesn't build a lot of confidence in investors, especially because up until the point of the sale, they had only impaired about $200 million worth of that acquisition. So, it begs the question of, okay, well, you clearly under-impaired this asset. What does that mean for all the other acquisitions that you've made? And
0: at the time, Constellation Brands was seen as yeah maybe they overpaid, but they'll be able to expand it in their network, and they weren't able to do that.
1: Well, they weren't able to do that. And There were two concerns with the acquisition when I saw it. Number one, they paid 12 times sales for it, it which is just absurd. I mean, if you look at Boston Beer today, trading around four times sales, and that business has been on fire thanks to the seltzer and cider parts. But yeah, then you just have to wonder. Ultimately, they misread how that brand would proliferate, nationally speaking, and it just never worked out.
0: All right, Jason, Emily, Ron, we'll see you later in the show. Up next, we will check in on the toy industry with expert Jackie Breyer. Stay right here, you're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. A late Thanksgiving means this is the shortest holiday shopping season since 2013. So, here with some insights and more on the toy industry is Jackie Breyer, Editorial Director of The Toy Book and The Toy Insider. She joins me now from New York City. Jackie, thanks so much for being here.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: Before we get to the toy businesses themselves, let's talk about the toys. What, what are the hot toys for 2019?
4: That is a great question. I would love to say it's Baby Yoda toys. I don't know if you've heard all the excitement around the, the, uh, the new Baby Yoda. Have you been on the internet lately?
0: Oh, I'm a Disney Plus uh, <laughs> subscriber. I was looking for some Baby Yoda stuff, and like everyone looking for Baby Yoda stuff, instantly disappointed that nothing's available.
4: It is not there. You can pre-order, but you know. It's not here yet, so while it is probably the thing people are most excited about in that area, there are some toys that are hot, and this is the time of year when it starts to become apparent, you know, what are the hot in-demand toys that parents should be buying quickly or else they're not going to be able to get their hands on them. You know, now that Black Friday and Cyber Monday have passed, everyone's out shopping and taking it seriously, like you said, it's coming up really fast this year. Um, One thing is Ryan's world. I don't know how familiar you are with um, Ryan Toys Review, the YouTube channel. I am not. Ryan is a YouTube star, multi-millionaire child who unboxes toys, and he has over 30 billion views on his videos, and he has his own toy line, so now kids can unbox toys just like Ryan. Ryan's their best friend, and they, you know, go on adventures together, so anything Ryan. Um, there's a pirate treasure chest. There's a secret safe. There's the surprise eggs. It's all hot. And if if your child is into Ryan, you're going to want to pick those up if you come across them.
0: What about uh, technology and toys? Because it seems like for years, uh, toys have essentially been losing out to versions of technology, whether that is a consumption device like um an iPad or or some sort of tablet um or just video games themselves are the toy makers doing a better job now of integrating technology into actual toys?
4: You know, it's interesting because yes, so on the one hand, absolutely, we're seeing a much better job. It's not just tech for the sake of technology like I would have said, you know, 5 or 10 years ago. There are companies doing a great job with technology. Um, Hatchimals, which was one of the super hot toys a few years back, they have Hatchimals. Wow, it's very intuitive. Kids have a lot of fun with it. Um, Cubby, the for real real friend, Curious Bear from Hasbro, that is really cute, great use of technology. And and stuff like um, the Harry Potter Invisibility Cloak. I don't know if you're familiar with that from Wow stuff. But kids can put on... The invisibility cloak, just like Harry Potter, and when they're facing their tablet, it appears that they're disappearing behind their cloak, completely invisible. So there's a lot of cool technology that we're seeing out there, but the flip side of that is parents, especially millennial parents, seem to be kind of reverting back to the classic toys and traditional play patterns. So we're seeing actually less um, tech toys, fewer tech toys, I should say, and more... Um, kind of inclination towards kind of like the simpler classic play patterns that we had when we were kids. That's
0: interesting, because one of the notes I had down was about the level to which toys are cyclical because uh, I'm not a millennial, um, but I've absolutely bought things in the past for my kids that were things or versions, updated versions of toys or games that I enjoyed when I was a kid. Um, so it's interesting to hear that millennials are, are doing that as well now that they're becoming parents.
4: Yeah, it's completely true. The retro nostalgia um, is, is real with millennials. And and, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer myself, and I have little kids, and I love to buy them, like, 80s stuff, you know. So uh, we have an asteroids machine at home. You know, I, I love introducing my favorite things to them, and I know, you know that parents do love that. If it's one of your favorite memories and you see something that is either the same or an updated version of that, it's just a really great way to to actually share an experience with your kids rather than just giving them something and kind of walking away, you know.
0: When it comes to the toy retailers, the major retailers like Walmart, Amazon, Target, what does the competitive landscape look like these days?
4: It's very interesting. So, um, After Toys R Us kind of went under last year, and you know they relaunched a couple of stores this year. We were actually there yesterday, and we had a lot of fun. But it's it's not what it was. It's not hundreds and hundreds of stores. So Target, in my opinion, is winning the toy war of trying to snatch up the extra toy dollars left on the table after Toys R Us went out of business. So they've done a number of different things to kind of make themselves the, um, the location for parents and gift givers to go shopping for toys. So first of all, they did partner with Toys R Us. So for example, the Toys R Us store I was in yesterday in Paramus, New Jersey, they have kiosks all over the store, but they're highly intuitive. So let's say I'm in their Lego shop. I can go in their Lego shop. They have stuff there in the store, but not nearly the hundreds and hundreds of Lego SKUs that are out there. So you can go, find what you want on the kiosk, super easy, scan the QR code with your phone, and you're instantly adding the item to your cart on Target, in the Target app. So Target's got that. um, And really anyone who goes to ToysRUs.com and shops for toys when they go to purchase, they'll be rerouted to Target. So maybe a little bit of consumer confusion. Um, You know, why am I on ToysRUs.com and and I'm actually being shipped over to Target? But people trust Target and um, it's just extra traffic. So that's one way. They also launched Disney boutiques within some of their stores. So with the Disney partnership, they're driving traffic and consumer experience. So Um, There's a lot of interactivity, lights and sounds, and and fun things for parents and families to actually do in those little boutiques. I think they're in 25 stores, but they're expecting to expand it next year. Uh, And there's a lot of exclusive product there that previously you would have only been able to find at at a Disney store. And then they're also using shipped, which you probably know they acquired um, not that long ago. So now they have same-day delivery. So when you're shopping, I've done this myself, you know, you need XYZ stuff, you don't want to run out, you order it, your stuff comes in a couple of hours, but you could add toys, you can do your holiday shopping, and they'll deliver it all to you, same day. So I think all these different, the conveniences, the experience, and really the expansion in general of their toy offerings, and the refreshment of their of their toy section, um, that leads me to feel like they are... Winning the toy war, but other toy retailers are doing a lot, or I should say, other retailers are doing a lot to gain some traction in the toy category. Uh, Walmart launched the Walmart Toy Lab, which allows kids to go onto Walmart's website, and they are kind of testing toys virtually. It's really it's fun, it's cute, it's interactive, and it helps kids kind of decide what they want to ask for for holiday gifts. And then Amazon, which you know, is, uh, who doesn't love to shop on Amazon? It's just the most convenient thing. They have uh, launched their second annual print copy of their toy catalog. So it's kind of the reverse. <laughs> They're taking their tech experience that makes it so convenient and so easy and bringing it into home. So you're getting this 90 page beautiful catalog. It's actually really nice, six stock. And you hand it to your kid and say, you know, circle what you want. It's kind of bringing back that retro nostalgic toy catalog, Sears toy catalog kind of feeling for parents. And then parents can just actually scan. If they don't want to actually search on Amazon, they could just scan the pictures in the catalog and it populates into their Amazon app. So it's really simple.
0: I'm just shaking my head at the idea that of all the things Amazon has done, they've resurrected the Sears wish book catalog.
4: (laughs) It's actually really nice too. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful. I can't imagine what they spent on that, but it's it's 90 pages of thick stock. Um, it it really makes you want to flip through it. So they did a really good job with that.
0: So at the Monthly Fool, we look at businesses. We look at the stock performance of those businesses. And when you look, particularly over the last few years, at Hasbro and Mattel. From an overall business standpoint, from a stock standpoint, Hasbro has dramatically outperformed Mattel. What is the view from someone in your position who looks at them as producers of actual toys? How do you think about Hasbro and Mattel?
4: Uh, well, they're definitely the two dominating forces. And I've been in the toy industry now for over 17 years, so I've seen a lot of back and forth. Um, you know, Mattel's number one, Hasbro's number one. Um, they're both huge forces to be reckoned with. They both have really great core brands. Um, for Mattel, Hot Wheels, and Barbie, are, they're strong. They continue to be strong, and while it's somewhat cyclical, they're always among the top 10 selling toys for the holidays. Every year, no fail. Um, and and that's, that's really important. I think that having lost the Disney license a few years ago to Hasbro was uh, a big deal. Hasbro now has... Um, you know they have frozen. They have they have Star Wars. It's it's huge, and they also have Marvel. So with all of those really high profile licenses, they've got um, you know they've got a big advantage that way. And of course they have their strong um, proprietary brands as well, like Nerf. Uh, but everyone is looking for those baby Yoda, those baby the child. They're actually called it's not actually baby Yoda, but Hasbro is going to have collector products, but not until probably third or fourth quarter next year. So we'll look for that to be exciting for everyone. Um, And Mattel actually, even though they lost that license, they are going to have the Baby Yoda plush with a vinyl head apparently. So I don't know what we call it slicing When they take a license and kind of slice it, like you can have this version of the plush and you can have this version of the plush. So it's interesting to see that Mattel will also have a license for that property.
0: So, as we talked about at the top, it's a really crunched time frame for people who are doing their holiday shopping. And I'm curious, before we wrap up, if you have any tips for people who are doing some, I don't want to say last minute toy shopping, but we're getting pretty close to the last minute.
4: Yep. So, first of all, grab that must-have toy when you see it. If you're shopping for a preschool kid and you see a Ryan toy, just, just buy it. Uh, but really, any toy, if you see your kid's favorite character or something like that, don't wait, because it will be gone. Christmas is like three weeks away at this point. Um, if you're shopping for a kid you don't know as well, stick with the classics. Classic, traditional play, board games, Legos, Play-Doh, all that kind of stuff is solid, you know, winners. Um, just keep an eye on the online shopping. I know everyone thinks, you know, oh, so convenient, I'll just buy it on Amazon. Things can get back ordered. Make sure you keep it, even if something is prime, you know, Amazon Prime, make sure the actual delivery date because sometimes you just assume that means two days or one day and it it could mean two weeks or it could mean January. So just be careful, pay attention to to that sort of thing and um, know your prices. There's there's price gouging out there. So um, if you are shopping online in particular, know what a product should cost and so you don't overpay.
0: If you want more information, you can go to thetoyinsider.com or toybook.com. Jackie Breyer, I know it's your busy time of year, so thanks for being here.
4: Thanks so much for having me!
0: Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here, this is Motley Fool Money. All right, before we get to the stocks on our radar, quick shout out to NetSuite because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And that's the problem that growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers. It's the patchwork quilt of business systems one for inventory, one for sales, another one for accounting. It's inefficient, it takes up too much time, and that hurts the bottom line. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It is the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR, instantly, right from your desktop or phone. And that is why NetSuite is the world's number 1 cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite's offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits, which is better than, you know, three or four key strategies to grow your profits. You can find it at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool to download your free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash fool. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Back in July, an independent group of McDonald's franchisees sent a letter to company management pleading for a better chicken sandwich to compete against the likes of Chick-fil-A. This week, That wish was granted. McDonald's is testing a Southern-style crispy chicken sandwich in Houston, Texas and Knoxville, Tennessee. Our producer, Matt Greer, will be heading back to Texas over the winter break, so uh, we'll get his review in January. But the dozens of listeners are already sending in their reviews. got an email from Judy Griffin in Knoxville, Tennessee, who writes, The bun was buttery, similar to how Chick-fil-A's buns taste. The chicken also tasted very similar, but it was not as thick as Chick-fil-A's, nor as crispy. If Chick-fil-A is a 7 out of 10, I would say this is a 6 out of 10. I would get it again, especially on Sundays. Thanks, and keep up the good work." Uh, Judy, thank you for doing some boots-on-the-ground research. And did you catch the key phrase there, Ron? Especially on Sundays. Yeah, little, that
3: little poke at that. that
0: is what you're hoping for if you're McDonald's. What do you think, Emily?
2: I think we've all been really excited, waiting for this chicken sandwich for a while, but perhaps no one was more excited than Bob Darrington, the Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst at the Tesley Advisory Group, who had some choice words about the McDonald's sandwich. He's, his phrases included that they were lightly battered, juicier, and more flavorful as an upgrade from MCC's heavily battered, less juicy, buttermilk crispy chicken sandwich. And he said that it included a full-muscled chicken breast.
3: Wow! it <laughs> just sounds grody. Uh, am I the only one that remembers from 2005 to 2015, they actually had a Chick-fil-A knockoff sandwich already at McDonald's, with the pickles and everything? Uh, I hope this is, I, the, this I, is listen, better.
1: I, I have zippy concerns about this sandwich, because I'll never have it, I just don't go to McDonald's. <laughs> I'm just excited about the validation, because I feel like we were talking about this on Market MarketFoolery oh. several months ago. And oh, like yeah. Of course leadership is going to do this. They're getting feedback from boots-on-the-ground franchisees, it's just a matter of time, and then it's just crickets, nothing. It's The validation is what makes me feel good about all.
0: This. Keep the emails coming. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. Uh, let's get to the stocks on our radar this week. Our man behind the glass, Steve Roydo He's off this week, but Rick Engdahl is here. Rick. So Rick will hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at
3: this week? I'm looking at Hasbro, H-A-S, one of the world's largest makers of toys and games. This is a little hairy here. Weaker than expected quarterly earnings and concerns over tariffs really caused a dip in the share price recently. I think giving investors a nice opportunity to buy the stock. The company has a nice combination between toys and brands and entertainment, successfully expanding their digital offerings. They've raised their dividend every year for the past 16 years. Current yield is 2.7%. I think they're set up well for the holiday season. Rick, question about Hasbro?
0: Yeah, they do like Star Wars and Marvel and all that. What's, the,
3: what's the movie property they don't have that they need? Oh, it's, they got Frozen. Uh, they've got Iron Man and those guys. Uh, what have we got? Probably need to dip their toe into the Fast and Furious world. Those movies don't <laughs> ever stop. No, they, they never stop. end, right? I like that. I'm going with that.
0: <laughs> Emily Flippin, what are you looking at this week?
2: Hasbro, more like Has Been. Ooh. Ooh. You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking I'm at a way here, more. Mind of my company. business. <laughs> CrowdStrike is my radar stock, CRWD. CrowdStrike is a cloud-native security platform. It really caters to organizations that are looking to protect themselves from cybersecurity threats. Really impressive financial results. Um, Average annual revenue grew 97% last quarter, 120% dollar-based net retention rate, so it's a strong business.
0: Rick, question about CrowdStrike? Emily, weren't you one of
1: the people who recommended uh, FireEye? Why should I trust you on CrowdStrike?
2: I was not one of the people that recommended FireEye, so thank goodness there, but it's a good question. Uh, CrowdStrike is a cloud-native platform, and it's actually one of the big competitors that's been stealing uh, customers from companies like FireEye. I think the bigger concern is Palo Alto Networks, which is the stronger legacy player.
0: Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week?
1: yeah, it was mentioned earlier, Adobe, ticker ADBE. Uh, Earnings come out this coming Thursday, December 12th. And uh, in simplest description, uh, Adobe is a digital media company, but it's clearly very wide-reaching in what it does there. So, big subscription model that I'm a fan of. 88% of revenue is tied to subscriptions that range anywhere from 1 to 36 months. And much like DocuSign that we talked about earlier, they've done a very good job in building out an impressive suite of offerings based on their core competency in digital media. I'm really excited to see where Adobe Aero goes as we move into this AR and VR-driven world. And, you know, I did just bring Adobe into our augmented reality service here, so I'm kind of excited about that. Rick, question about Adobe?
0: Yeah, Jason, as someone who works in the multimedia world, I just does Adobe even have any competition anymore?
1: Well, I think that's a very good point. I mean Adobe is a very big company at this point around $140 billion market cap. and so there are competitors out there trying to dabble in the space, but it's just the amazing the resources that Adobe has to fight back. So any competition that springs up, they can snap them right up. So I really think Adobe owns this market.
0: Adobe, Crowdstrike, Hasbro, three very different businesses, Rick, you got a
3: stock you want to add to your watch list?
0: Well, I already own Adobe, so I'll, I'll throw Hasbro in the list.
3: I don't know about Finally a win. <laughs> took it took it, I get how to get Steve out of here for to finally get a win. I got kids, Emily. I'm all no. <laughs> <laughs> all... No.
0: right. Ryan Gross, Emily Flippin, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Yes. That's gonna do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Keep the emails coming. Radio at fool.com is our email address. That's radio at fool.com. Show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.